Before we get to this week's podcast, I want to tell you about Digiday Plus. It is our premium membership product, and it gets you our quarterly Digiday magazine and a steady stream of exclusive research about the media and marketing industries. You'll also get to be part of our Digiday Plus Slack community and exclusive member events. In fact, we're hosting a live podcast with Vox here in New York City on December 5th. I will be speaking with Lindsay Nelson, who is the CMO of Vox. If you sign up, you can join us. It is uh, $395 a year. And for you, our podcast listeners, for you, we have a discount. Enter the code podcast at checkout and you'll get 10% off. So visit digidayplus.com and join our membership program. Brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. This week, I am joined by Ken Doctor. Ken is a uh, consultant and astute analyst of media. He knows he knows where the bodies are buried, where it's going. They're piling up. They're piling up. So <laughs> when this run, we're getting towards the end of the year, um, and this was a bit of uh, the latest in the string of sort of anus anus horribilis uh, for media. Yeah. Uh, so let's start off with the bad. Looking back in the year, how much time do you have? Give me the, give me the, <laughs> give me, give me the, the three, the three biggest challenges. Do you think that are that have reared, reared their heads this year for the future of the media business? So probably none of these are new, but the absolute number one probably be the absolute realization that Google and Facebook are dominating even more digital advertising. So the numbers getting out there that they control ninety percent of all the growth that we could be in a, a situation where um, in the next several years, they have more than 100% of the growth. So the digital display slowdown for basically everybody else um, compared to Google and Facebook is now a point of reckoning for, I think, all media, everybody else who's in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one would be, and I've really focused on this uh, ever since the New York Times launched its paywall, is that people will pay for quality content. And we go back to 2010 and the internet wants to be free was still hanging on. When the Times introduced its paywall in 2011, people joked about it and said it would never work. And we've seen uh, even pre-Trump bump, we've seen, and certainly post-Trump bump, we've seen that higher quality legacy publications can get readers to pay for them. And that the latest data is that they're holding on to to those. Mm. Um, Third one would be, and this has been very little written about given its implications, the decisions starting to come out of the FCC. So for decades, you couldn't own a newspaper, a major newspaper, and a major TV station in the same city. A couple of grandfathered exceptions. Uh, for instance, uh, Murdoch tried to buy uh, the LA Times probably about 10 years ago now, but couldn't because he had two TV stations there. The FCC, we've have ta- seen some news about the Sinclair decision to allow Sinclair to get much bigger as a TV broadcaster, but there's a series of FCC decisions coming which really favors and will favor a few big roll-up TV companies, and we just had within the last uh, month the first purchase of a newspaper company 
by a TV company. It was relatively small potatoes, but it is going to be the beginning, I believe, of major consolidation. And the journalistic implications and the reader implications of this are not out there. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to that because I do agree that that has not been delved into enough. But let's go back into the one that has been delved into yeah. a lot, which is um, the duopoly and its impact on um, on media. Yeah. Um, at this point, I mean, there's a lot of focus on that. What are the chances of governmental intervention in your estimation, either here or in Europe? Seem very, very small. Um Number number one is not a new issue. I remember I testified before the Federal Trade Commission, which put on some kind of deal where they would interview people at 15-minute intervals for eight hours. Totally bad procedure <laughs> on Google. Uh, on Google, this is 10 years ago, and, and Google's dominance at that point. As I've talked to FTC, FCC, uh, you got justice people in on it. You got a lot of lawyers for the media companies. Nobody can, knows how to think about this. Well, what does domination mean in the digital world? How can you figure that out? Yeah. It's not and, and Google and Facebook just then define yeah. the market as large as possible. Right. And what is it? What is it? The market, right? It is an audience market, is an advertising market, and everybody's chasing their tails. Meanwhile, these companies are eating the world. Mm-hmm. So Europe, a little bit of a different story, though. Yeah, yeah, but in, and EU got a five billion dollar fine uh, against Google. Uh, based on how they rank their search listings. They would like to go farther. But the key part of this, and this is kind of the, the, the circus out of Washington now with, uh, with the congressional committees beating their chests about fake news. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the real issue is their domination, their market domination of digital advertising, which is the number one ad type in the so country. So you think this will blow up? over? I mean, because I think in some ways the, yeah. the, the, the attention on fake news is just... It's a more tangible um, yeah. thing for for regulators and for lawmakers exactly. to grab onto yep. when really the issue is is the domination. Right, um, it is, and I think that you can get a win, and you can say, "Oh, we're going to get them to disclose, you know, who is actually paying for their ads." Maybe they do that. Maybe they won't even do that. But um, and then they go away because clearly, uh, in an anti-regulatory environment, the other thing is that, not just the FCC, of course, but the whole Republican philosophy is anti-regulation. Right. So the, ch- the chances of anybody figuring it out and then passing legislation and then getting the president to sign it, I think are practically nil. So I think that leads into subscriptions because yeah. uh, there's obviously been a tremendous dependence on Google and Facebook, not just for traffic, but they dominate yeah. the monetization side of, of digital media. Um, yeah. And subscriptions, at least theoretically for some people, it offers a way to, it, it offers the, a tangible um, independent path. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and it's been proven out. The question is, how much it can, can it get extended at this point? Well, yeah, because there's some national examples. You, you'll go to the New York Times, you'll go to yeah. the Washington Post, but you know that doesn't get down to the Hartford Current. But there is, well, there's a Hartford Current-like example. I'll be writing about it uh, later this month. So the Star Tribune in Minneapolis. Um, I actually was managing editor of the Pioneer Press in St. Paul, and, and we had competitive relationship. It was great competition in, in the 90s. Star Tribune is similar in a lot of ways to the New York Times model. They're at about 50% reader revenue as opposed to 60% for the Times. Their revenue is close to uh, close to zero growth, which is great in this industry at this point. Yeah. 
and um, and they they are paving a way forward where it is the subscription revenue is number one and advertising is number two. So you got to ask that question of it's not just national and regional, but what does a regional paper have to do to be successful in a in a reader revenue oriented world? And and there is an answer. So give me give me sort of the I don't so the, the, no that's your funny. column here. The, the, the parts <laughs> this will of, help you think through it. Kind of. <laughs> the, the parts of it that are that are absolutely clear is a private company. You can't be a public company uh, attuned to quarterly earnings and, and try to and try to invest long term. So a private company owned by a guy named Glenn Taylor, who's the richest guy in Minnesota, and uh, was remember this species a liberal Republican back when he was in the legislature. Oh my God. Which is 20, 20 years ago. Endangered species. Uh, they're gone. I think they're in museums now. Okay. Um, and, and he believes in a newspaper as a civic tool. Twin Cities is about half the half population of Minnesota, but also serves the whole state. So private ownership, long-term view, modest reinvestment, a newsroom of about 240, which is huge by regional standards, and a mix of, guess what? veteran reporters and columnists and younger people more skilled in digital trades mm -hmm. and then a value proposition where they've actually added back to the sunday paper say that again paper <laughs> just like two or four pages but they they listen to people what they wanted so they give them a good product they give them a good digital product they have the newsroom to back it up and they have very smart commercial people long-term view you put all that together it can work but it seems like the fulcrum there is the benevolent billionaire. I mean, is that really, I mean, look, there's not a lot of good options out there. Um, but it would seem to, yeah. to me that just betting on, on, on benevolent billionaires is not the ideal model for media. Well, there isn't, there's, any, inherent there's no single ideal model right at this point. Now it's true there, and we have we have John Henry in, in Boston. We have others who have, who have been benevolent billionaires, uh, small billionaires club in, in in daily newspapers. What it is though also is just a smart business operation. It's saying I've got something. This paper is profitable. I've got something here, and if I invest in it, as any smart business person would do, who believes in the future of a business, you don't have to be a billionaire to do it. He bought it at a relatively small price. So it's true. I, what you're pointing to is a really important point. There are, there are not many forces, whether they're billionaires or groups of civic people or entrepreneurs of different kinds who say, hmm, I can make a go of this. It both has uh, civic value, but also has commercial value. There's not the belief here that you can do what the Star Tribune did in other places. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got to change that point of view and point to how they did it. Yeah. And you're sort of, I mean, you have to, you have to assume they're going to be benevolent, right? I mean, that's also the bad thing. Uh, I mean, we saw DNA Info yep. slash Gothamist um, just yep. got wiped away by their yep. billionaire yep. owner. Maybe it was because they unionized. Maybe it was just because... He decided there was no there there. It's very strange though. It's just the not. Yeah, I don't the know. timing was very strange. Yes. <laughs> not not yeah. just to cut some jobs or something like this, but just to <laughs> close up shop all of a sudden. Uh, yeah. Obvious downsides. Yeah. Oh, obvious downsides. The but question is what are, what, are, what are the alternatives <laughs> okay. at this point, right? And we're talking about really about local journalism. I mean, okay. if you look at national. This is journalism, like Shackleton at this point. You, got, you might not want to <laughs> eat the penguins, but 
<laughs> you got to eat the penguins. Oh, it's, it's just it's just awful. And uh, those who live outside New York can get local local papers, and it just they're just dwindling away. And there's still more cuts coming this fall because those companies have lost uh, uh, fifteen to twenty percent mm-hmm. in print advertising this year. So why not digital models? I mean, we see some. Um, yeah. We see some flickers of there, but then you know you see layoffs at Denverite. I know you wrote about that, and um, I don't know if um, if uh, what's going on with Spirited Media and Jim Brady will, will right. end up. I don't know what scale looks like. I don't know if they if they can get into twenty thirty markets. Um, do you think there's a workable digital model that you see out there? The problem with the digital model, digital only model is that we don't see uh, a willingness yet for consumers to pay for digital news, local digital news. They'll pay when a legacy company like a daily newspaper offers them both digital and print. But to have a digital-only news startup hasn't worked. Uh, Jim Brady's company at Denverite, Billy Penn in Philly, they're, very, they're literally spirited sites. They're meant for millennials but they're overly dependent on events revenue. Yeah. They found events, great, but events in and of itself aren't, isn't supporting that staff. So I, I think it's a really interesting question here. Why haven't they worked? And I've, I've debated this with, with Gordon Krovitz, who's one of the, uh, one of the uh, owners now in Spirited Media. And I've said to him, I like, and I, and I know Jim Brady from over the years, and I like what they're doing, but it's not big enough in scale. And I Define think it scale needs to be because bigger. I think whenever anyone hears, and maybe this is a sensitive topic because we do a lot of events, they always say events <laughs> don't scale, and which is true. It's not yeah. an iPhone. You yeah. can't. It's not going to no, be I mean a the scale of news. Business. I mean the scale of news. I right. Mean, the well, I think business. what what I yeah. wonder is, you know, maybe the scale thing is is just you got to redefine scale. That yeah. like twenty people in like is 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 the new scale in a mid sized market. In terms of staff, yes. I, let's think about it in terms like of support, audience. Supporting a twenty-person newsroom right. is perhaps the new scale. In in depends a, on what size. what size city, right? Uh, right. Yes. It depends on what size city. But if you you look at the Billy Pens and the Denverites, they tend to be five to eight. And in terms of in terms of scale, I'm thinking of audience. And what's going to get somebody to pay for local news, sports? Sports helps, definitely drives it. But there's also, I think the number one thing is habit. That if there's a habit developed, go back to what a daily newspaper was. If there's a habit developed and you have a, you have a like and a dependence on that news source, whether, and, and it could be for sports plus, news plus, it could be actually business news plus. Um, if you have that, paying for is not a big deal. But, and I've done this at, I do a lot of speaking and I ask uh, groups and these are people within the industry. How many of you have a local news app? Maybe your own local news app, if you have, if you're coming from that company Mm -hmm. on the first screen of your phone, it's five to 10%. You got to be on that screen the way the New York Times is and became a habit and got to its couple of million digital news subscribers. Yeah, I think that's that's a tough one. It's local tough. news, local news, kind of did this to themselves, right? I mean, they've been looking around for um, for culprits. They they were blaming Craigslist for a while, and only for fifty or sixty years. That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, they had yeah. a nice monopoly, and, and you sort of get lazy. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was inside Knight Ritter 21 years. If you look at it, the height of newspaper penetration was 1955. And it was more than 100% because of evening newspapers. More than 100% of households took a, took a daily paper. And the slide, as, you, as you're saying, uh, kept, kept going. And then it hit the internet. And mm-hmm. it's the internet that has really knocked the wind out of it. Yeah. And if you go to a local news site, I mean, if you want to talk about a crisis of user experience, visit a local news site. Oh, I mean, because I understand, I understand how digital media works and, and the, yeah. the hard choices you have to make. But at some point, like you just can't be treating your customers that way. I mean, they'll just they won't come back. And they're not. Right. They're so. boring. They're boring sites. And they don't even show the output of what that newsroom is producing, even though that it's been cut back. So let's talk about Trunk. You've yeah. written a lot about Trunk. Oh, you're too, a much, leading, too much about Trunk. I think you're the leading Trunkite. Oh, I think so. That's an insult. I may <laughs> leave. Um, why? So I mean, so I mean, this is. I, I understand why you're interested in it. I mean, it's it's interesting to see. Um, yeah. You know, trying to save this 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 business is is a difficult. It's a difficult one. Um, they got a lot going against them. We've talked about yeah. it a lot. Um, Explain what's going on there. I, I think w- w- the changes at the LA Times are particularly interesting. Yeah. Well, Trunk, <laughs> beyond being just a funny name that people like to, to hear about, uh, it is the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, Baltimore Sun, Hartford Current, and Fort, o- Fort Lauderdale in Orlando. These are huge cities with, with, with papers that served them well over the years. So you've got two things going on. You have the kind of sideshow that Trunk has been because of Michael Farrow, the, the owner, chairman, uh, outside ego and, and kind of silliness. But you have a real impact. And depending how you count, it's about the third largest daily newspaper company in the country. So it's important. Now, they don't talk, so they don't get a lot of publicity, but I have many sources there there now. Um, what's going on with them is uh, they are a single-class public company. Again, I said that's a big problem these days. And they're losing lots of advertising. And even two years into Pharaoh, they don't have a new strategy. So he promised transformation. That's where the whole Tronk name came from. Yeah. They're going to put video been, on every page, right? And they did. And they, bought a, they did a bunch of widget deals of putting you know self-playing audio all over the mm-hmm. place and low-quality widgets of... The pivot to autoplay. Oh, it was just, it was, it was madness. And it didn't work either commercially. Um, their audiences have been down, surprise. At the same time, these newspapers, especially the LA Times, have done have done some great journalism. Yeah. Now, at the LA Times, then they, they wiped out the top echelon of the editors and, um, and brought in Louis Dvorkin from Forbes, which is kind of a mind-blowing change. And we'll see what happens in, in the newsroom. And the question, can he win the newsroom? It's going to be tough. Some trepidation there. Uh, more than trepidation. <laughs> a deep, even even for uh, for newsrooms. Well, Forbes has been a lightning rod for a bunch of different things ever yeah. since the contributor model. Um, contributor model and branded content. Yeah. But what does it mean to the LA Times, which is trying to reassert itself as a major force in Los Angeles? Yeah. And California. Well, if you look at the Weinstein um, story, I mean, there's definitely an opportunity for them to own their hometown business. Um, you know, if they can, that's the big question. Oh, there, it's, it's, yeah, there's a huge number of stories, and they've excelled on some of them. Right. And Ross Levinson. And Ross Levinson. Writer. And Ross, he, he, he keeps on he keeps on percolating. He's a very smart media guy. We know that. 
how he translates what he knows about digital media to the specific opportunities and challenges of the LA Times is still unknown. Mm -hmm. uh, he's brought in. He's brought in his. And there's own never people. been there's never been a successful, um, as far as I know, someone going from digital media to a newspaper company. Uh, Joanne Bradford question. went to right? San Francisco Chronicle. Chronicle. That didn't yeah. last long. Um, I don't know if there is like an example of someone. Maybe I don't know. Would Larry Kramer would that be? Mm. Well, going to a newspaper company, yeah, or coming from a newspaper. No, 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 going to. Yeah, there, there are, there are very, uh, maybe there are none, but there are definitely very, very few. And and the and the, the difference is the business model to a large degree because and you brought up scale. So scale works differently on on, on a local model. How are you going to get enough local people to read? And this is not just the same question of having the map of the United States and then the globe of 300 million people, but how do you have a product in Los Angeles for 15 or 20 million people that you can harvest enough money out of? Mm -hmm. It's a fundamentally different problem. Right. Um, so I want to go through a bunch of different issues right now. Yeah. And then I'm just going to throw them out to you. This is not prepared. So, um, and then you're just going to give me your initial okay. gut reaction. Give me a minute or two on, on all of them. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. The pivot to video. Pivot to video seems to have been another thing that is overblown. That if we look at how, how people really want to consume news, they want news in the best way that makes sense for the best story, as opposed to the best way to sell advertising at the moment. That's, I think that's fair. I agree with that. Um, particularly because video is really good for entertainment. It's not necessarily as good often enough for um, information delivery. Usually we learn less from spending 60 seconds with video than we learn from reading 60, 60 seconds of text. Exactly. Uh, fake news hysteria. Oh, it's fun. It is just an, an amazement out there. There's a uh, God, I, I wrote a, I wrote a column this morning. There's got to be ten nonprofits that are working in that area. But Every we, crisis we, is an opportunity, and the and the money is flowing. The Knight Foundation money is flowing. Every, all the money's flying flowing out of uh, out of uh, Silicon Valley. And this morning, uh, I wrote about um, NewsGuard, the new uh, Gordon Crowe with Steve Brill operation. So they're trying to say red, yellow, green. We're going to rank the news. They may they may be onto something, but we'll see whether Google and Facebook yeah. play along. I mean, it's kind of this is probably a bad analogy, but it's kind of like after September 11th, all of the sort of homeland security startups, because like there's yeah. a lot of money that's going to be thrown at yeah. this issue, yeah. And so a lot of entities spring up because that money has to go somewhere because Google and Facebook have zero zero desire to do this job themselves. That's right. So they're going to outsource it. They're, they're, they, there are a lot they, of contracts they, out and, there. And, and, to, and to NewsGuard's credit, they see that commercial opportunity mm. and they see a way for Google to Facebook to maybe get rid of one of their many problems. Yep. Outsource it. BuzzFeed IPO 2018. It could happen, but you know, it's interesting. I think what's happened in terms of uh, we, we look at we look at BuzzFeed, Vox, Vice this year compared to last year, and BuzzFeed has done some really good work, for instance, on the whole on the whole Russia investigation. But it's interesting, kind of the ascendance of the Post and the Times uh, as compared to the the digital onlys. 
And so their, their business is good, but it has a lot of bumpers on it because of all the change in the commercial world around it. Mm-hmm. So, um, uncertain. Okay. Um, commerce models. Yeah. Commerce models. Everybody's got one. That's, that's, that's the new video. <laughs> it's the year of the gift guide. <laughs> well, commerce Look for models. the Digiday gift guide dropping uh, soon. Well, so how much do your readers trust you? Digiday and others. Um, and do they like your recommendations better than others? Um, in, a, in an Amazon world, uh, I wrote about uh, what, uh, what they're doing at Gizmodo early in the year. And Gizmodo is all these enthusiast guides and they have recommendations and they work. But, and we got wire cutter and, and everybody's doing it. There's got to be a limit to it. And there's a real question of how well it's done. Do you really trust that this is a good recommendation? Yeah. And I think also it's like the question, I mean, Gizmodo is an interesting example because they have, they have scaled it to, yeah. to a degree, whereas most of these things are incremental. And that's the story of digital media. Everyone pops up with a new incremental. Right. Nobody pops up with like, hey, this is going to be a giant chunk of your business. It's like, right. no, here's an incremental. No, you're absolutely right. And same with the events, right? If you make, if you tie events, with events to what you're writing, <laughs> if you're what you're writing, and if you're convening an audience, then events can get bigger. If recommendations on buying stuff are integrated in, right. as they are, well, it's not in people's DNA. I think that's the challenge, and that's the same on events. I mean, we said, I mean, right. we started as an events company, but a lot of people go to events or go to video or something like this because it's a commercially driven yeah. thing that's not part of their mission. Yeah. Um, and that's generally, I think, when they when they don't succeed. Agreed. Okay. Uh, micropayments. Ah, micropayments. That's the other point. Yeah, a lot did happen this year. So we've, we've got everybody saying, okay, the New York Times, even the New York Times with their hugely success, successful model, only has 2% of their digital audience subscribing in, into the digital, uh, digital form. There's got to be 5 or 10% of people that would pay for the New York Times and pay something less. So you've got a bunch of companies out there. We've got Jim McKelvey's company out there, and, and uh, we have Tony Hale and what he's doing. I think somebody's going to figure out something that's going to get more revenue. Whether they're going to hit a home run with it, I don't know. But I think it's right that they've got to remove the friction to make it easier for some people to sample stories. It is madness right now. When you go to a site, you go to I don't know, Chicago Tribune, and I'm, I'm based in, in the Bay Area, and I want to read a story, and it says, here's a paywall. I can't even read one story without mm-hmm. any paywall. They're losing a huge amount of audience. So I think somebody's going to figure it out. Um, I think that um, I, from, what, from what I see of uh, what Scroll is doing, I think it might be a simpler method to make it work, but we'll see once it launches. Okay. Um, VC funded publishers. So there's not, <laughs> VCs uh, tend to have moved on to Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum at this point. Um, that's the route, that's the route I see the money going in. What into. a weird detour. When we look back in the history, the VCs have always stayed away from media. And then for some small period of time, they were like, yeah. Yeah, we can do this. And then they're well, they're like, not betting on thinking? publishing. They're not betting on publishing. They're betting on the speculation of the currency itself to fund the publishing in some in some odd. No, way. I mean when they were funding content publishers. Oh yeah, um, I think those. Well, the those smart ones. Are, the smart ones looked at the businesses and said, even if this works, there's nowhere near the the adoption hockey stick that you have with tech companies. Right. Even if it works. 
but it's fun. Media is fun. We know media is fun, so some of them get attracted into it. Uh, Vice's business model. So I like that it's it's always been diverse. They have three re- revenue sources, and that that helps. So instead of having you know launching and saying, first of all, we don't know a business model, or relying on one business model, which was digital advertising for a lot of companies, having other models, including licensing, really makes a difference. Okay, final one is print newspapers. So print newspapers are going <laughs> to round their wagons around the Sunday paper. Sunday paper is still very strong. More than 50% of all the ad revenue flows through it. And it fits. I, I think the audience here, and, and, and again, habit is important. A weekly kind of product makes sense in print. We see wide liking of print um, uh, as a niche product. And that's the whole flip here. Google and Facebook have become the mass. Print is a niche. It's fine. And if you can be really good digitally and you can have a strong Sunday product, that extends the life of that news organization and can hopefully pay for a substantial number of journalists. Okay. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Quite welcome. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.